people from evil people and, and releasing people from prison. And Lord, that you would take care of the families that are without husbands or mothers. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, please open our eyes. Uh, that for us and help us to become better people because of your residing spirit and because of your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, throughout the nation of Israel's long storied history, there have been centuries and millennia where the nation of Israel had been waiting for their Messiah, waiting for their Savior, a hero, a deliverer. And for many centuries, as they were waiting and waiting, he never showed up. And even now, people think he hasn't shown up yet. But for all those centuries, <clears throat> many imagined a, a Messiah that would be like a mighty warrior type or a great world leader or someone in one way or another who could defeat their enemies and give them safety and peace and rest from their enemies. Now, <clears throat> as I think, that, think of that, you can see that God made some big promises to Israel throughout their history. And we can read of those promises that are still to come. And like anyone else, you know, when promises are made, even when we think of things that maybe we're promised or we're looking forward to or somebody tells us something, you know, you flesh out those promises with the details that aren't given to you. And so you think, you know, as Israel thinks, of their Messiah. <clears throat> they think of it in certain ways from their mindset, how it's going to be, how he's going to be, how it's going to look, what he will do, and what kind of person he will be. And you know, we may do the same sort of things in our lives when we have, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> some hopes that we have or dream that we have, or somebody tells us they're going to do something for us. Or we think how God is going to help us or use us. And we may try to flesh it out and, and think of the way that it could happen. Or we're thinking, is God leading me to do this certain thing? And, and we flesh it out to see what is that thing he wants me to do and how does he want me to do it? And I think that's all pretty common because we don't always have all the information. And we take what we have and we just kind of build upon it. But I find something very interesting when I look at how he did fulfill his promise to his people, and I'm referring about the coming of the Messiah, and as we look at the Gospel of Luke, I want to look at how many parts of the story of Jesus coming line up with the way that we would have guessed it would have come. So as Luke tells the story, and he, <clears throat> we saw last week that Luke gathered all the accounts that were there in existence, and he interviewed witnesses, and then he wrote down the story for this person named Theophilus in an orderly account so he could be certain of the truths that he had been taught. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 1, first of all, 
in verses, verses 5 to 7. In the beginning, he told them he's laying out a, an orderly account so, they can, so Theophilus can be certain of the things he was taught. But in verse 5 through 7, it says, In the time of King Herod, In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Aaron was the priestly line. Both of them, Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive and they were both very old. Now, we saw where it says both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing the Lord's decrees and commands blamelessly. Now, we know that when the Apostle Paul talks of righteous, he says nobody's righteous. But what, <clears throat> excuse me, what Luke is referring to is that they were very devoted, their hearts were right, and they lived according to the law. But you know, when you say that they're righteous according to the law, part of that law is bringing a sacrifice to uh, atone for your sins. So <clears throat> being righteous according to the law included asking forgiveness for sin. So it wasn't a sinless righteousness that the Apostle Paul talks about that we receive from Christ. <clears throat> but the setting here is that Elizabeth and her husband, uh, Zechariah, were totally dedicated to serving God. They are a devout older couple, the husband being a priest, both of them in the line of Aaron. And then we find out that they've never been able to have children. So here they are, two very faithful, obedient servants of God, dedicated to his commands, wanting to serve him and teach others how to serve him, having a great reputation among the people, <clears throat> and yet not able to have children. And that was the desire of all families, to have children. Praying for years for God to grant them a child or children. And during that time that they're praying and not having children, serving him faithfully. You know, doing the priests, having a priest's life, teaching and serving the Lord at the temple. Remaining faithful. And you would think, according to the way that was thought, if anyone deserved to have children you think it would be Zechariah and Elizabeth above most everybody else. But let's continue here. <clears throat> That's the setting. And now let's look at verses 8 through 10. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. That's a high, high honor. And when the time 
for the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. <clears throat> so, records show that there were 24 divisions of Jewish priests back in the first century. <clears throat> Each division would serve two one-week periods at the temple each year. So here is Zechariah's division serving one of their two weeks at the temple. Now, scholars estimate that there were approximately 18,000 priests who served at the temple. If you take that tribe, the Levi tribe and the, the family of Aaron, <clears throat> And casting lots was the way that they determined who would burn the incense at the altar. And that would be right in front of the most holy place. Right in the presence of God, according to the temple structure. A very, very high honor. The highest honor a person could have that only a small fraction of the priests would ever get to do. And it was by casting lots, that's the way they felt that God was determining who would do it. So this is Zechariah's high point of his priesthood. And the great majority of priests would never get to do this. But the casting of lots was seen as God choosing Zechariah. So here he is <clears throat> at the altar in front of the Holy of Holies. He's there in the very presence of God. The worshipers are outside praying. And now let's look at verses 11 through 17, what happens. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. It's like a lifetime Nazarite vow. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah, the Old Testament prophet, to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. You know, it says there that Zechariah was startled and then gripped with fear. And so you can imagine just this, this bodily jump, you know, when this angel appears and then that fear just kind of sinking into his being. So I imagine it was quite emotional and quite <clears throat> somewhat devastating. And as fear fills his being, you know, the angel starts to speak. He's terrifying, terrified. The angel tells him not to be afraid because his prayer has been heard. He's going to have a son. And he says, you were to call him John, and that means, that word means God is gracious. And so, 
Here's Zechariah, as we can, if we can even start to imagine how he felt, how much it impacted him, how fearful it is, and this angel is telling these things. But then, look what, look what he says about his son. <clears throat> he will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. That means he's, he has a special dedication to God beyond what even a normal servant of God would have. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. Both of those things point to that this, <clears throat> this son to come is going to be in, in, almost in a category all of his own as far as a servant of God. <clears throat> he will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. I mean, this is going to be quite a child that is born to Zechariah and Elizabeth. First of all, a child is born, a son. They've been praying for decades for this. Finally, they have this child coming. But then not only a son, but an extremely special son play a major role in the nation of Israel. I mean, he will be like a national hero, so to speak, on the religious side. <laughs> a joy and delight to his parents. Great in the sight of the Lord. He will do great things for God. He will be completely set apart to the service of God. You know, <clears throat> with the Holy Spirit indwelling him before his birth and never touching any uh, fermented drink. And he'll bring back many Israelites to God. Ministering in the power and spirit of Elijah, that great prophet of the Israelite nation. Turning the hearts of children back to their parents and parents back to their children. This baby to be born is going to have this incredible ministry of turning people back to God and healing families. Getting things back in order the way they should have been, the way they probably were at one time. And God will use him to prepare, people, prepare people's hearts and attitudes and everything for the coming of the Lord. Now, at this time, you know, the Israelite nation was not a nation committed to God or his ways. I mean, there were people who were very dedicated to God in the nation, and we read about some of them. But the, as a nation, they had really drifted from God. And the way that you can tell that, and you know, there's different ways. But one big way you can tell that is you see that their, their religious leaders were evil. The ones that we read about in the Gospels, I'm sure there were good religious leaders too. <clears throat> but the ones that had control were just downright evil. They were murderous. They were hateful. You know, they plotted Jesus' murder. They were power hungry. They did everything to gain control. And they became wealthy. 
And so John the Baptist was going to come on the scene in the spirit and power of the great Old Testament prophet Elijah. Now, if you read about Elijah, which most of you have, he rebuked kings. He called fire down from heaven to consume the prophets of Baal. He called fire down from heaven to destroy uh, platoons of soldiers who came to take him off the mountain. Elijah was bold for God, and he got people's attention. He denounced wrong right in the face of danger. So we have this aged priest and his wife, never able to have children in their childbearing years. And now, not only were they barren, but now they were too old to even think about having a child. But God is going to use that very couple to birth and raise one of the most important people in the history of Israel. And so, being at the bottom, so to speak, as far as having children and having a family, now they've been raised to the top. One who would prepare the people for the coming of their Messiah. And you know, I mentioned at the beginning, sometimes we just try to figure out God's plan, right? Or we try to flesh out things that we've been promised. Like, how will it be? Will it be this or that? And I'm not saying that we never get it right. But I do see in the Bible that God works in incredible ways that we had never been able to figure out beforehand. That when when God promises us something, we kind of see it from our point of view and how it might come. But then God does something beyond or way different. He, He keeps his promises, but sometimes it's not near what we thought it was. Many times it's so much better. This time it was so much better. And also I see in Zechariah and Elizabeth that God can take the most hopeless circumstance... You know, you have these, <clears throat> this couple never able to conceive when they were of age and now way past that and God gives them a baby. And not just a baby, but one of the most important people ever born in the history of mankind, John the Baptist, to do a work that almost no one could do bring distant souls back to God. I mean, we may not have been thrilled with his table manners, but God used him to bring souls back to him. He used them to point a nation toward God. Now, because of this, because the the message is so positive, we might suppose the rest of the passage is going to go real smoothly. I know some of you have read ahead. Zechariah has promised, has been promised a son. Elizabeth is going to give birth to this incredible servant of God, one of the greatest servants that there will be. And now let's read verses 18 through 20. Zechariah asked the angel, after all this wonderful wonderful description of this son, 
How can I be sure of this? I am an old man and my wife is well along in years. Oh, that wasn't good, was it? That was the wrong question to ask. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. Here's what he's really saying here. He says, this is your sign. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Uh, He blew that one, didn't he? He doubted the promise and the power of God. And of course, we could all relate to why it would have been difficult for him to just just to take that in at that moment, to understand it. I mean, who knows how many of us would have done the same thing or how many of us would have done the right thing at that time. I mean, who knows? But we do know, no matter how many of us would have done the same or worse or better, we do know that Zechariah should have believed God. I mean, there was no real, there's no excuse. I mean, we can, we can uh, sympathize with him, but there's no real excuse for him not to believe that angel. It was an angel from God, nonetheless, who almost frightened him to death, that appeared to him when no one else was around, out of thin air. When he was lighting the incense... And if it had been any one of us, we also should have believed God. But here's the ironic part. You know that Zechariah said, how can I be sure? And the angel says, here's how you can be sure. You're not going to be able to speak. And so just the second he can't speak, he says, oh boy, (laughs) I really did it this time. And then he said, when the baby's born, then you'll be able to speak. Now, in verses 21 and 22, uh, Zechariah exits the temple. It says, meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. Now they knew that God had spoken to him in some way, or God had given him some kind of a message in some way. It had some kind of divine interaction, but because he could not speak to them, but they really didn't know what it was all about. And now our last verses. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. 
In these days he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace from among the people. <clears throat> Elizabeth feels completely blessed by God. You know, when a couple was not able to have children, some, many, in that, especially in that time, would see that as disfavor from God as maybe a curse from God. I mean, children were seen definitely as a blessing. And it says Elizabeth went into seclusion for five months. It isn't explained, but we know that she was beyond happy, right? I mean, she felt so blessed by God. So whatever it was, it wasn't that she was depressed. I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm guessing that it wouldn't be something like that. Probably just maybe devotion, thanksgiving to God, maybe just to be alone. Maybe something to do with her advanced age. But she is really thrilled in her heart, and she feels fulfilled. Now, back to earlier thoughts of trying to guess God's will or how he will fulfill his promises to us. Or what does it mean when we pray for something over and over and we don't see God working according to our prayers? You know, taking this, this story, we never know what's going on behind the scenes, do we? We never know how much God is fitting in to answer our prayers and how much else he is including that's going along with the answer to our prayers. <clears throat> And God does everything so much more than we can imagine. And he is so wise, and he's so powerful, and he's so loving. And he accomplishes his goodwill many times in ways that we can't even imagine. So we get into these situations, and we're praying to God. And we have this very, very narrow viewpoint of how God can help us. And God may be including all kinds of things in his prayer. You know, for a relative who's not a Christian. Or <clears throat> to take us way beyond what we're thinking. Uh, God has a way of making all things work together. Even evil in the world to work together to end up in good. So here's the, the, the point. It's so crucial for our times we must never, ever give up on God. We must always keep our faith in Him no matter what. And we must never accuse Him of wrong or not caring. There is so much that we can't see. And He's working all things out for good. It's like when your child comes up to you and asks if you can do this for, the, for them. And you've got 12 other things that you're trying to do at the same time. Well, <clears throat> that child, you know, has very narrow vision there. And he thinks you're not doing what you, he's asked you to do. Even though you said, okay, I'll do that. And they're saying, you're not doing it. <laughs> That's the way it is with us. And so we pray. And then God starts working. And in some way, he's answering that prayer. If it's, if it's an honest, from good intentions, 
He's answering that prayer, <clears throat> but he's answering it in a way that's best for us and best for his plan. And Luke's reason for telling this story of Christ is that so that we can know for certain the things that we have been taught. And the things that we have been taught, we may not be able to put all the pieces together to make it all come out looking just real nice. But that will be for right now. And there are so many people that I just keep running into uh, reading about. And they're leaving the faith. I mean, I don't know what their faith was like, how strong it was. But they were, they were people that people were following. Pastors and worship leaders. And I've mentioned it before. And they named something. This doesn't allow me to believe in God. You know, they see a child starving in another land. I can't believe God would do that. But there are pictures like this. You know, and then you, you've got sin that has come into the world. And look what he, I mean, look what God did, allowed Jesus to go through. But that was just, that was to give forgiveness to everyone who would come to him. That didn't look too good, did it? Giving all those Pharisees and religious leaders and Roman soldiers power over Christ. And you know, we may be ridiculed for believing things that we can't completely explain. And you know, we may even suffer persecution for holding on to the truths that we get um, <clears throat> mocked for. And we know that many individuals who have professed Christ have turned away because they can't explain something, they can't answer a question. But in the end, it will all come out to be a beautifully complete portrait of God's victory over evil and his extreme love for all of us. That will be the final picture, the final scene. <clears throat> God's victory over, that's what he's doing. He's defeating evil. And we're in that, pro we're in that process as he's defeating evil but he's allowing it to work its way out. And so it is totally vanquished at the end. And then there's this kingdom with no evil. And in the end, God's reputation will be shining as bright as the sun. And Luke's reason for giving us these details is so we can be certain of the things that we've been taught. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. And thank you that you have revealed yourself to us in this way that we have, knowing that now we can trust you beyond what we can see, beyond what we can explain, beyond what feels good. And Lord, we, we just want to ask you to strengthen our faith and help us to reach others with the faith that's trusting. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.